Hello, my name is Donnie Smith, and I'm the pastor here at Ascension Christian Center in Apopka, Florida. I hope this message changes, impacts, and challenges you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the message, you can connect with us on our website, Facebook, or Instagram at Ascension Christian Center. Thank you, and enjoy. And I've become passionate about the table. Um, and because, and he, it's because he told me um, about a year and a half ago, he said, you know, the table's an altar. And I was like, oh my gosh, it is. And then he goes, where are your other altars? Because so is the TV, and so is the bar in the corner, and like so is other stuff that you've put up on pedestals in your house. And so I was like, okay. And so I've just made it like, it's this groan within me to find God at tables of food with people I love. And that's honestly how I experience him the most. And I know we all experience him in different ways, but I just want to provoke a curiosity today for the wonders of the kingdom and the way that God has written his story. I mean, he created us to eat three times a day. We could have been sustained on water or air or anything else, but he created us to be sustained on substance, on food. And actually, it says that he made everything in all creation for us to consume. It's for our pleasure. And so I think that we're kind of missing like a big aspect of the gospel because like when you look at the life of Jesus, just in Luke alone, there are 11 stories of food-related parables or Jesus eating out of 24 chapters, 11. If we're talking about the life of Jesus, we better involve food. I mean, you look at, you look through the uh, Old Testament in Exodus, when Moses went up to the mountain, he ate with God. And here's the thing. I'm sure that mountain was a long climb, right? I don't, I've never, I don't, has anyone climbed a mountain in here? Okay. It's hard, right? Okay. I bet you they didn't bring the food with them. I bet you once they got to the top, Jesus prepared a feast. And so I wonder what they ate. And they feasted before he gave the commandments. And so I just think there's this like beautiful story that God has written for us that's sort of interweaved between all these lessons and all these um, people. But food's always kind of in the middle of it. And I love that about God because I relate to that. My belly groans all the time. It's groaning right now. And which is fitting for the message. So it's great. Um, actually, uh, Matt was like, are you going to tell them the story of when you cried over your dinner? And I was like, what? We, this summer we went and we, my parents took us to a nice dinner when they were here. And the food, everything was so perfect that I wept at the table over my dinner, like hysterically. Because it, every, it was everything. You know when you go somewhere and you don't get what you were craving and it just didn't hit the spot? It was the opposite of that. It was like from the beginning I showed up to the end. It was everything my heart, my soul, my stomach needed, and I just wept. Um, don't test me with food. So I'm just going to talk about three things. Um, I want to talk about the table and how people ate in um, like Jewish tradition. Um, it's going to be a little bit like practical message and a little bit factual, but I think it's going to be good. Um, okay, so get this. I learned this. Um, so basically, um, Joel, you can put up that first slide for me. 
So when they're eating in Jewish tradition, like in the Old Testament, when it says a table, the actual translation in Hebrew is talking about like a carpet or a leather rug. And so it, you're really think, imagine it more like a picnic, okay? When you're seated somewhere in the Old Testament, that's usually only for royalty. And if you're seated, it's a, very, it's a small stool. It's not like some kingly crazy thing that you would imagine like in... I don't know, England or something, it's actually um, very prestigious to have a seat to sit on. Otherwise, you'd be on the ground. And then by the time the New Testament comes, oh, there's the Last Supper, yeah, I'm getting there. Um, but by the time the New Testament comes, they've created a, a low table. And what it does is it has three sides. And the low table, um, people will either kneel at or they're laid down at. So in the Gospels, when you're reading, whenever Jesus is at a table or someone else is at a table, it always says he's reclining. Reclining is a not like a lazy boy, okay? Reclining, you're actually laying on your stomach, and you're leaned up either on a left arm or a right arm. So that way your chest can face the other person who's facing you, so you can lean in and share secrets with one another. So you can hear um, the, their breath easier at the table that they're at. So this picture of the Last Supper is not accurate. I didn't know that. I learned that. But the next picture would be more accurate of them kneeling with their feet behind them like this. And this is, um, it's called the triclinium, which means it's got the three sides, tri. Like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the reason that the, the center is open is so that the servants can come and give them something to eat. And the way that... Um, Oh, and then you can go to the next one, too. So this would be how it would look if they're kneeling. And this would be, sorry, it's blurry, if they're laying. And this is likely the position. They're, they often weren't kneeling. And the reason they're doing this is because nobody invented closed-toed shoes yet, okay? And so there's only sandals in Israel, and there's also donkey poop on the streets. And so when they're walking, their feet are getting dirty. There's nasty, nasty stuff that you don't want at the table. And if you don't have a seat and your feet are crisscrossed, it's going to be near the food. So they keep their feet behind them. Context. When the sinful woman comes and she breaks off, breaks the perfume bottle over Jesus' feet, it says that she's behind him because of this. And he didn't see her coming. He just knew because it's Jesus. And same as Mary. When she's breaking the vow over him, she's behind him. And the reason that they're able to do this is part of the Jewish customs is where the dining room is is actually open to the streets. So when it's open to the streets, that's, that allows for a conversation to be overheard. So people would gather where they would find out where Jesus was because they want to overhear the conversation that's happening at the table. So it's very easy for somebody who's eager, like the sinful woman, to just run up because it's on the street and open to everyone and just start pouring out her oil and her tears over his feet. Another um, thing that they do in Jewish customs is they wash their hands before they eat. And so do you, anyone remember the story in the word where um, Jesus and the disciples get ridiculed for not washing their hands? This was like a law. It was like a religious law in the day that you wash your hands before you eat. And actually, um, traditionally, you wash your hands when you're done, too. So they'd come um, with like a basin, and they'd pour 
uh, it over your hands and then the dirt would fall in between in a place where you couldn't see because it looked nasty. And that's when Jesus is like, they're like, hey, how come you didn't wash your, your hands? You come to my table, you don't wash your hands. This is gross because they don't have utensils. Okay, there's not plates, there's no forks, there's no knives, there's nothing because there's just sheets of bread that they're tearing off and scooping with their hands and like dipping it in stuff. And then there's typically, this is everything I learned. You guys with me? It's going somewhere, I promise you. Um, there's one tray. There's one tray of meat that gets passed around, not like our Western culture society where everybody gets pre-portioned and they don't get to choose and you just overeat for the rest of your life. Just saying. But there's one plate of meat and then often there's a pot of broth. And that's for the bread because the bread is often stale. And you dip the bread in the broth and then you pick up the meat and you eat it with your hands that are supposed to be clean. But they're all grossed out because they're like, hey, bro, we invited you over for dinner. And uh, you and all your crew didn't wash your hands. And now you're getting all your germs up in the food that I'm eating. And I'm grossed out. Like, what's your problem? And he uses this as an opportunity to teach a lesson. And he's like, okay, so you're going to ridicule me about being clean. But you're withholding all these things from your parents that you should be giving to them. And you're unclean in your heart. And he was like, why don't you get yourself right with God before you talk to me about my hands, you know? Where am I at? And then, um, okay, so has anyone ever been to a Seder, a Passover feast? Okay, I did one when I was in high school. I vaguely remember it. But there's always the Passover feast. That's like one of the first times we see Jesus as a kid. He's actually coming back from the Passover feast that he went to every year with his family, which can you just imagine? Being Jesus and going to the Passover feast, by the way, I'll be the full fulfillment of this, but I'll celebrate with you now. Like every year he shows up to his own party and they don't even know they're celebrating him, you know? But let me tell you, um, the Jewish people party hard, okay? They have seven festivals a year. And I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get over there because they eat a lot. And these are, that's part of their tradition. And one of them is the Passover festival. And the, the, Jesus coming back from the Passover festival, he's crossing over the Mount of Olives and back. And when he's coming back from the Passover festival, that's when he gets stuck in the temple as a kid. And his parents are like, uh, where the heck were you? You've been gone for three days and we've been worried sick. And he's like, I'm doing my father's work. because He's coming back from the Passover festival. So many cool things. Okay, and this, this is really cool. So there's this thing called the sop at the table, and that's part of Jewish tra tradition. And so Michael's smiling at me this whole time. I think he knows this whole message. But the sop, basically what you do is the host of the gathering. So you know when you have people to your house, you ask them what they like because you want to give them what they want. You're like, oh, do you, are you allergic to anything? Um, what are your favorite things? I'll make what you like because I want to host you well. So the host, who's invited the guests over, takes um, the bread dipped in the broth with the meat or wh whatever else might be on the table. And it, I think it probably feels like it sounds sop, Ugh, like mushy, you know? And um, he gives it to the most honored guest. And this is important to know because when Judas betrayed Jesus in John 13, 26, 
it's uh, they're like, well, Lord, who's this person? Who's gonna who's gonna betray us? How do we know who it is? They're like, surely it's not me. All the disciples are denying that they have sin in them. You know, they're like, oh, I I love you forever. And Judas is sitting there. He's about to deny Jesus three times, and he's like, okay, well, it's the one that I dip my bread for and hand to. And the sop is an explanation of friendship, an extension of honor. And so it's so sweet that Jesus, about to die on the cross, takes the sop and hands it to Judas, who's going to betray him. And he's like, here, friend, I give you the place of highest honor while I tell you you're about to turn your back on me. I feel like so many things happen at the table, like conversation. I mean, just think about like tables you guys have been at. Conversation, laughter, jokes, storytellers show up at the, at the table. You know, you might be one of them. You might tell long stories. My grandpa does, that's for sure. That's where Thanksgiving happens. That's where like the cleansing of our souls happen because you finally get a breath of fresh air, sit down and breathe. Okay, so bread. Okay, bread shows up all the time in the Bible, right? Sarah's baking when she's told she's pregnant, and she's baking for angels. What if you were baking for angels? That's my dream. My dream is that I will, I will make food at dinner, and one day an angel will show up, or Jesus will come and sit. Like, I want my kids to know the name of the angels that sit at our table, and I want it to be regular, and I want, I want the on the mountain with Moses experience where we get to eat with God and he, he brings something too. I prepared all this, but then he shows up. Because you know when you're a guest, you like bring a pot of flowers or like dessert or something. He brings something too. We see it um, all throughout the word. Um, even in um, when Israel was delivered, manna from heaven, right? Do you guys know why manna was so important? Because they were eating gross, stale bread for all this time, and this is the bread of angels. So it had, like, honey and all these other things in it that were really flavorful. And what they were eating before was, like, hard, dense, raw, rotted out, sometimes moldy. I read sometimes it had rocks and grass in it. Bread. So they went from a land of lack, no abundance, nasty provision, grossness, to... A God who brings them out, freedom, real bread. They never knew what it is. Manna literally means, what is this? <laughs> I don't even know if it's bread. We're calling it bread, but it, who knows? What is this? And God's giving them all these things. It's like this difference between sonship and serving the priest, you know? Like, it's actually like receiving what the Lord has for you. And I just think, like, we're meant to eat together. We're meant to break bread. The way I was reading, um, the way that they made bread is they did it communally. So oftentimes, so bread is um, something for, like, people who didn't have a lot. And so barley is one of those um, cheaper wheats that they would use. You guys with me? Okay. So they would 
do this as a family to supply for themselves for an entire year. So it was a communal effort. So the mom, the dad, the kids, they would all work together. They'd gather the wheat, and then they'd break it down, and then um, they'd put it in a big old, like, bucket, and they'd just take one scoop at a time. And this is how you make bread. Flour, water, time. That's all you need. You don't even need sugar, salt, butter. All those things are great, but it's just flour, water, and time. And because a lot of them were so poor, they didn't have an oven. So they would make the bread in these communal ovens. This is like when Jesus was walking the earth. This is the bread he ate. They'd go and they'd take this mixture of bread and water and time, and they'd go put it in the oven. And so then the question becomes, how do you know whose bread it is if your bread's in the oven, your bread's in the oven, and your bread's in the oven, and your bread's in the oven. We're all making our bread from the same stuff. So what they would do is they would make these marks in the bread that would divide it into equal portions, and then they would put, like, their family mark on it. So I'd, maybe I would put G for Gilman or something like that, but they would put a family mark so they would know whose bread is whose. The reason this is important, the fish and the loaves, so the boy comes with the fish and the loaves. In this context, we know that he is very poor because Mark, my main man, who's a foodie, the only guy in the Gospels who mentions what kind of wheat they use for this, he says it's made out of barley, which is poor man's wheat, which shows us that this kid, this is probably his family's portion for the day, this is probably something they worked over, and it probably has, like, the rocks and the grass and the nasty dirt and stuff. It's not refined. It's not in good condition. And it might be old, but it's divided into even pieces. And Jesus takes that bread, the nasty, poor boy's bread that nobody wants, that has rocks and gross stuff in it, and he multiplies it for the 5,000. And I think one of the... Um, misconceptions is that the, it says the disciples gathered the pieces like it's crumbs. But in this context, if you're looking at it from the Jewish culture perspective, it's a full day's portion that he's broken up for them because the bread is already divided and cut. Jesus isn't giving us breadcrumbs to supply for our needs. He's giving us the full portion. And he's giving it to us out of a willing child who worked hard at it and was willing to give up his day's food for his whole family. I mean, it's not like they went to the store and bought Wonder Bread. Like, they worked at this all year long. This was like, this was what they ate. Like, the Mediterranean diet is repetitive. You don't eat, you don't get to eat different things all the time. Like, it's olives, bread, olive oil, maybe meat, broth. Like, and then you just keep re-eating all that same stuff over and over and over again. Like, they don't, they don't have variety. And Jesus takes something that's gross, and he turns it into something that is to be celebrated. And I just think, like, God, you're so good. You're so good. This is, like, the, the ultimate communal act. Let me take something that's only meant for eight and let it be enjoyed by many. It says the kingdom of God in, the, um, in Matthew, it says the kingdom of God is like um, a wedding feast. Why would he compare the kingdom to eating? Because I relate to it, number one. But number two, 
because we get it. We eat three times a day in, in America. Donnie eats four. Some of you might eat more. Some of, <laughs> Rebecca eats five. She's eating for two. You know, and it's something that we get. We understand, like, that we can come. And do you know what it says about the kingdom of God? It says the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast where you invited all these people and they told you they're too busy to come. And then you go out into the streets and you invite the lame and the poor and the deaf. And they come, but the seats still aren't full. And then you go into the fields and you get all the workers. And then the seats are full. And all for the purpose of the room being filled of enjoyment and the feast actually being eaten. He moves along if you're not interested. He'll keep, he, he will keep pursuing you in different ways, but not if you say no. You know, and he's, he, he lays it out for us at a table. So this, um, of course, makes me think about the tabernacle. Um, Joel, would you put the slide up? So um, after the Israelites get freed from slavery and then they come into their land, they, they build a tabernacle for the Ark of the Covenant. I think we all know this. And so this is just like a really simple depiction of the tabernacle. But so outside the tabernacle, we have the altar, the burnt offering, the bronze labor. What I want to talk about is in the holy place. So this is now in the tent. There's the table of the showbread. Everything in all creation depicts heaven. And there is a reason and a purpose that God laid all this out. If you skip through Exodus and Leviticus, like you don't have a care in the world about a bunch of cubits and a bunch of gold and a bunch of details that God gave you, I'm just telling you that he's organized, he's specific, and he's telling you these things because it is like a precursor of what's to come. And he's trying to allude to something if you will read the story. And so the table of the showbread, it's small. This is for the Lord. It's three feet by a foot and a half, two feet tall. It's like this itty bitty teeny tiny table. And it has six loaves on this side and six loaves on this side of unleavened bread. Y'all know the difference between leaven and unleavened? Okay, I'm going to tell you anyways, even though you think you know. So leavened is what we talked about, how you make bread. That's water, flour, time. Unleavened is water, flour, limited time. Because when the Israelites went to flee Pharaoh, they didn't have enough time to let their bread rise. Now, this seems like a simple idea. Okay, they didn't have time to let their bread rise. They move along. Unleavened bread, the Passover meal at Seder's. Now we eat unleavened bread. When we do communion, we eat unleavened bread in the table of the showbread or otherwise known as the table of his presence because he is the bread of life. There's unleavened bread. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Leavening is not yeast. Yeast wasn't invented until 1868. Leavening is time. And do you know what it is? When Jesus says, when you, when you, you see the Pharisees and the Sadducees, um, and you see the leavening in them, he's like, um, don't be jealous. Do you know what it is? The time it takes for the bread to rise. When you see anchor in somebody else, and you see something that irritates you, 
It's just a matter of time before it rises up in you. In Jesus, the bread of life is unleavened, perfect and holy, not subject to time. Bread, when it leavens, it leavens the more you work it. And leavening, um, it's like it creates bubbles. And the bread gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And what he's saying is, look out for the leavening in your own life. Because just wait, what you see in someone else, you're about to see in yourself if you're not careful and you let it rise. And so it's important that we understand these principles as God is laying out before us foreshadowing of Jesus to come with unleavened bread because he's not subject to time or space. And he doesn't, he doesn't react like that. Bread is like the center of Jewish life. It's the center of everything because they didn't have anything else. Okay, nowadays, like, if anyone's gluten-free in here, that's like a modern-day luxury. You know, we don't have, back then, they didn't have the luxury of not eating bread because that's what they had. And even right now, the statistic says if bread was eliminated from the face of the planet, two billion people would starve within three months. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. We've just really, really, really dumbed it down. It's just flour and water and time. But we've added all this other stuff into it to make it what it's not. It's not fluffy. The bread we're talking about in Bible times is not fluffy white wonder bread. It's like you could break it on the edge of the table bread. It's nasty. It's not good. That's why when you eat a communion wafer, your mouth is like, you know? It's gross. And bread all throughout scripture is just meant to show us that God provides more every time. Every time he provides more. The manna, what is this? What would you bring me? And then Jesus literally, it says that he's the one who's breaking the bread of the table when he's eating. You want to know how he's able to break the bread? Because they don't have knives and because it's pre-portioned. And you can visualize this like reality of heaven that Jesus is like a real dude who has to sit down at a table and really eat food. And then maybe it wasn't the best food. And he like taught all these lessons over it. Okay. Last thing. Olive oil. Anybody love olive oil? Okay. E-V-O-O. If you watch the Food Network, you know it's a base for everything. And um, have you guys ever been to those olive oil stores where, like, I think there's one in Winter Garden and maybe Winter Park, too, where you can, like, try the different flavors and they have like oregano olive oil and like garlic we like the jalapeno one and there's all these different ones and it's like so cool you know but olive oil was used keep this up Joel at in the golden lampstands which are directly across from the table of the showbread and it was vital that they use pure olive oil to run the lamps so the light came 24 7 just like the Holy Spirit, I'm just saying. We're running on the oil of the Holy Spirit that makes the light fill the room. Are you seeing the connections here? Anybody? And another thing they use the olive oil for, so every single thing in the tabernacle was also anointed with the oil. Okay, I read this about olive oil, even present day. In the Mediterranean, where there's 90% of the olive trees still left, Do you know what ladies use? Anybody looking for anti-aging treatments? Because 
they douse their face in olive oil. And that's what like the women in the Old Testament were using. And when they talked about the king's faces that were shining, it's because they smothered them in olive oil. Because it was a sign of royalty, but it was also anti-aging and it gave you beauty. And olive oil has all these like antimicrobial, antibacterial benefits and stuff. All they knew back then is oil heals. This is before Jesus, before he sent the Holy Spirit. And the oil is what ran the lamps that filled the altar with light. Let's take it a step further. Do you know where the tabernacle was placed? Anybody? It was in an olive field. And do you know what the first sign of life was when Noah was looking for land? An olive branch. And do you know where the Garden of Gethsemane is? on the Mount of Olives. And do you know where Jesus would go to retreat? On the Mount of Olives. And do you know where he will return again? On the Mount of Olives, where his feet will stand and the Mount will split in half, which by the way, there's a fault line straight through the Mount of Olives. And you just see God weave this story from beginning olive branch into the Shekinah glory of the altar to fill it with light, into the life of Jesus, into eternity. And he's trying to tell you a story if you'll string it along. And that's why it's important, like, Donnie, like, we're going to do this New Testament reading. It's so important to know the scripture because you make these, like, aha moments, these connections that are, like, what in the world? I never saw that before. I never realized how intentional you are, God. If you're that intentional to talk about the olive tree, then you must be that intentional with my life. You must be able to tell me one thing now and another thing later and another thing later, and then it all strings together for the story you're creating. If I will listen and pay attention. I just love the Garden of Gethsemane because, so on the Mount of Olives, the garden is just below it. Um, I, Matt told me he's been there before. I haven't been. Who's been to the Mount of Olives or Gethsemane? Okay, I, tell me if this is accurate. He said you can walk between Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives. He said it's not like a crazy big mountain, not like the one on our screensaver. It's like a hill, um, which is interesting that Jesus does his whole ministry and he comes to earth on a hill. Do you know what Gethsemane means? The olive press. And the night before Jesus died, he went into the olive press on the Mount of Olives as the olive branch that came for us, the oil to be poured out for all. And he stands there and he gets crushed. And he bleeds because of his anxiety. And then he goes and dies. And he raises to life. And when he ascends to heaven, he sends the anointer back down to dwell with us and cover us.
in oil until he returns again on the Mount of Olives, exactly where it all began. Our God is a good storyteller. And he's a foodie. And he eats with us. And he speaks to us. At the table is where anointing comes. At the table is where we find substance. At the table is where we find community. At the table is where everything happens. And I just want to ask the question, what's on your table for him? Like, what have you prepared? Have you been crushed to anoint him? And do you have a sacrifice to give? And did you wash your hands before you showed up? And would you eat what he gives? And will you share with everyone around you? Because it's not a portion just for yourself, like America tells you. It's a plate you pass. I think the table tells us everything about the kingdom. And so I would love for the worship team to come up. But I just want to ask the question, are you willing to show up to his table? I don't think he's so concerned about what you guys are going to eat together or necessarily what's on it. But I think he's really concerned if you're there. And Matt and I were talking, and he, we were talking about the reality that there's going to be a real day, just like you and I are here right now, where I will sit at the wedding supper of the Lamb, like it says in Revelation 19, and I don't want a seat that's far away. There is a real, there's a reality of a proximity to Jesus because he's a man. And I want, I want to taste the oil he recommends. And I want to eat the plates that's in front of him. And I want to have the conversation with the king. I don't want to be on the outside listening in. I want to be the guy next to him so I can put my head on his chest and whisper secrets. And he can put his head on mine and whisper secrets as we're reclining at the table. I don't want to be at the end hearing third hand what's happening. And so... Just like, like we were singing in worship this morning, like, God, take us higher, but God, would you take us closer? I just want to be closer to you. I want to be at the table of your presence. I want to break the bread, and I want, I want to feel the anointing running out all over me that you paid the high cost for. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope this message impacted you today. If you'd like to support Ascension Christian Center, simply go to ascensionchristiancenter.com and click the gift tab or text ACCFL to 77977. Interested in hearing more? Check back weekly for new messages. Have a great day.